Good morning, everybody. Um, uh, I'll be actually be preaching from Jonah 1 today, so you can ignore uh, some loser wrote the liturgy today. It was me. And uh, <laughs> so you can ignore the back there. I'll be taking you through Jonah 1, 1 through 16. Um, and before I do the reading of the word, I'd just like to say uh, a few things about Jonah. Um, well, the story of Jonah and the great fish is a well-known uh, story to all of us, I would say. Uh, the surrounding narrative contains one of the most important messages the people of God uh, have heard and has needed to rehear um, time and time again. Uh, so, spoiler alert, the greater message of Jonah is that God's mercy extends to all nations. Um, it seems pretty easy to agree with, uh, with that if we understand Jesus' teachings. Uh, nevertheless, our hearts resist this truth one way or another. Um, Jonah's message to the, the original audience is that they have forgotten their covenant with God and thus have spiraled into hating their neighbor rather than loving their neighbor. Uh, the covenant includes many promises, but they had neglected the fact that this included that through them, God would, as we all know, bless all the nations. This isn't paramount to the gospel. Uh, this message is placed at the exact center of the book where Jonah says in uh, chapter 2, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. That's the central message of this book. Um, we, when we cling to worthless idols, we are forsaking the covenant promises of God and thus are halted conduits of mercy. When we run away as Jonah did, or after something other than God's uh, prescribed will for us, we will be a divided person like Jonah, up to our necks and anxieties and confusion. Uh, please pray with me and then I'll go ahead and read Jonah. Uh, Almighty God, we come before you today um, needy. Uh, we come before you weak, but we know that your word is power for us. I pray that you would um, use my word um, to have your message heard, that this would not be my message, but your message. I pray that we would hear what you have said to your people, to your church throughout the ages through Jonah chapter 1. Um, you are sovereign over man. You are sovereign over creation. There is no plan B. You will have your will done. And we have every reason to have joy and comfort in that because you are a merciful God, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You have extended your grace to many, if not all of us here. Um, we have received your gospel. We have hope in light of um, our situation. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so if you could turn with me to your Bible, in your Bibles to Jonah 1, I'll read 1 through 16. We will save 17 in the next chapter, if I'm ever up here again. This is the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has, their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa found, and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. 
So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then he said to them, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And that's Jonah chapter 1. So, at the beginning of this text, there is a huge red flag to the original audience. The classic formula for the Lord initiating a prophet in Scripture is as we see here. In verse 1 he says, Now the word of the Lord came to so-and-so. The people know the gravity of this phrase. The apparent strangeness comes in verse 2 and verse 3 as the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, for their evil has come, their, their evil has come up before me. And then verse 3, but this contrastive phrase would be a shock to the listener. They know the law. They know who the Lord is. There is one correct response, and Jonah is about to totally blow it. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So why on earth would somebody do this, let alone a prophet? The answer lies in what Nineveh means to the people and what Tarshish means to Jonah. In just a few short verses, the listener has gone from, oh, a prophet, oh, Nineveh? How could he go to Nineveh? Tarshish? How could he go to Tarshish if he's called somewhere else? What you need to know about these two cities is that Nineveh was the leading city of the Assyrian Empire. It is the city of the people who have oppressed northern Israel, where Jonah is from, where he's preaching. They've oppressed them, and eventually they are going to drag these people out by putting rings in their lips and take, forcing them out of the promised land. Um, Jonah and the audience alike would likely hate the Ninevites. Tarshish, on the other side of the known world, was thought of as a place where God was not present. It was a place where God was not working, or so the Israelites thought. Jonah knew the Ninevites were unworthy of mercy, so he is trying to give them justice on his own accord. Jonah gets in a ship to escape the presence of the Lord, and most of you can probably tell me how this next part goes. We pick up in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were exceedingly afraid, or were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Uh, When we take a close look at this uh, text, um, 
we see that the mariners are not simply trying to lighten the ship so that it won't see, sink, but this is actually a pagan people trying to appease sea gods of any kind by lightening the sea from them. That's actually what the text says. So we see pagans doing pagan things. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and was laying down and was fast asleep. Okay, so these seamen are fearing for their lives, and Jonah is in a deep sleep. Um, do you see that connection for yourself? Um, if we apply this to the Christian experience, people are dying, and so many of us are too exhausted to do anything about it, to be out there spreading the gospel for the people we do or do not care about. It is not from a lack of effort or even success. It's a lack of success in the critical areas. Many of us spend our days succeeding at the wrong things. In our eternal state, we will recognize these empty vapors or these idols for what they are. Right now, they are the major roadblocks to us getting out, getting up, going out and preaching Christ and him crucified. God's answer to unrepentance and evil is believers who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believers who preach the forgiveness of sins for those who have been blood-bought by Christ. Jonah is called to Nineveh. They oppressed his people and God has called Jonah to love his enemy. And we'll see this, we'll see this theme progress in chapters 3 and 4. So now we'll pick up in verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, he's asleep, what do you mean, sleeper? That always gets me. I just think it, it just sounds funny in English. Um, he says, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. There's an interesting bit of irony here um, used in verse, uh, the captain uses the same verbs in his command to Jonah uh, as God uses in verse 2. Both the captain and the Lord command Jonah to get up, call out, arise, proclaim. In Hebrew, in Hebrew language, they're the exact same words. God will have him get up and call out to the oppressors. The captain will have him get up and call out to God. Very ironic. The implication is this. What's it going to take for Jonah to cooperate? You cannot run from God, but you can exhaust yourself trying. There is no plan B. The God of the Bible has never had a plan B. Jonah's experience is plan A, even if Jonah fails. If God has called you to do something, there is not a plan B. And you will see plan A unfold before your eyes, whether you are on board or not. At this point in the book, uh, Jonah often looks like a fool from the outside. And there are certainly, there's certainly an element of foolishness and pride in trying to escape the presence of the Lord. Um, the Israelites listening know he, he was always going to fail. He was not going to resist the Lord. The captain of the ship is likely infuriated, and the reader today is usually thinking, no wonder this guy is about to get swallowed by a fish. He just keeps digging. Um, I think that an important ingredient of what's actually going on is missing from that understanding. The language that got, that got us to this point not only, suggests that, not only suggests these things of pride and foolishness, but it also suggests an element of deep depression. Um, that deep sleep that Jonah was in is a sign of being close to death. Um, Jonah going down to Joppa and down into the sea and in the heart of the ship is expressing his spiral into despair. He's resisting the Lord, but no one can resist the Lord in the ultimate sense. It's a losing fight, and we all know that. Jonah is being suffocated by the situation, and he knows why. He just can't deliver himself. He just can't get over the internal conflict. So we pick up in verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. The, the listener or the reader can guess who it's going to be at by this point. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah, 
And in the ancient world, casting lots is viewed as a sort of a way of seeking divine, uh, like a divine answer for a question. Israelites and pagans did that alike. I can't justify that. That's just what it was. Then they really come at him when they find it's Jonah. They start interrogating him. They say, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? This barrage of questions shows um, the intensity of the situation. They're thinking, isn't that that guy who came out of nowhere, jumped on our ship, and is headed for a foreign land, and really just, he's just running, clearly. And then they said, and then he says to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. He says he fears Yahweh. He uses the divine name. They may or may not know who this is, but I'm sure they've heard of the Israelite God. He says he's the God of heaven, and, he's, and he who made the sea and the dry land. So now these pagans, ironically enough, are thinking, what is your plan here? They don't have the oracles of God. They are clearly not getting the prophecy from God the way that Jonah has, the way he's, the message he has. And they're saying, this is never going to work, and they're pagans. So we have pagans telling, telling the prophet, you really don't get God, do you? Like, you really don't understand your own God. If your God is the God of heaven and the dry land and the sea, why would you run from him on the land and the sea? Why did you head into the sea if, he, if this is his domain? And look at what we got. We have, we have a storm. So there's just so much irony in this, first, in this first chapter of the pagans telling Jonah why he doesn't understand God. And uh, it's, I guess it would be somewhat comical to the, uh, to the original audience, but he's going to throw a twist at them soon. We won't, get that to, we won't get to that today. Um, they don't quite understand the implications, but they do recognize that what, say, what Jonah is saying is true and that God is causing this trial of Jonah's disobedience. So they believe him. They just think he's making a fool of himself. Um, and honestly, that is what anxieties do to us. Like, we begin to lose our clarity as we start to resist the, word, the will of God. We've all, I'm sure we've all experienced that. As we resist what we know what we should do, the anxieties build, and the clarity goes, and then we stop making sense to people. Even these pagans who are throwing, literally throwing physical items into the water to try to get the water to leave them alone. And that, those are the people that are telling them, he's a fool. And that, it would be, that is very embarrassing. <laughs> so we pick up in verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said, pick me up and throw me in and the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's my fault. So they didn't want to do that. So they know that there's a deity behind this calamity, and they're saying, well, if this is your God, we're not going to kill you. That doesn't sound like a good plan. If you throw this guy into the water, he's not going to make it. That's what they know. So nevertheless, they row harder, and they get back to dry land. But they couldn't, of course. This is God's work. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. They have a conscience, and the last thing they want to do is possibly offend this God of Jonah by sending him to his death. Um, if anyone told you that you needed them to die for things to go better for you, you would consider, seriously consider their mental health today, right? Um, no one's going to believe you in any time or age. Even the pagans do not believe Jonah on this. And by the way, Jonah is clearly not operating with sound Torah doctrine right here. He's too confused and weighed down to do so. Chronic stress does strange things to the mind. Nevertheless, the men try to get to dry land. In chapter 3, we'll pick up on how the, well, in chapter 3, we would pick up on how this connects with Christ. I would say we're prone to the same thinking, maybe not to this extent, always in our life. This is obviously the trial of a lifetime for a prophet who's resisting the audible voice of God. Um, but we're always trying to get to dry land. Um, if we can just, you know, 
get through seminary, if we can just get over the debt wave, if I can just lock down a good job, um, we, think thing, we think we'll get through this. Um, the truth is, is we can't deliver ourselves any better than Jonah. We can, we can like Jonah, spend ourselves trying. Um, we need to stop, those who are preaching the gospel to the world, we have to stop thinking, I need to be in a different situation. I need to be, I need to get myself out of the situation. I need to get myself positioned and things will be better. The truth is, is when we receive the mind of Christ and we have submitted ourselves to the word of God, we accept our situation and we glorify God in that. And that's what Jonah's running from. And then we have verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So now we have the pagans praying to God <laughs> and they're asking for forgiveness for how things have gone and they're asking, him, they're asking for pardon for what they're about to do because we know they're about to throw them in. They, they, have, they eventually find we are going to sink, we got nothing left. If we don't throw them in, we're all going to drown anyway, so we're going to give it a shot. And uh, so they're asking, don't blame us for this. Your prophet's telling us to do it. And uh, there's some tricky things about verse 14, but I would say that's the, main, that's the main point. They know they're not going to make it, so they listen to Jonah. In verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Uh, this is where the mariners leave our story. Notice they are all the more afraid of the Lord now that they are safe. They feared the storm before, but now that the storm has calmed, they're more afraid than they were before. That might seem unnatural to you. We actually we see that with the disciples when Jesus calms the storm. They are more afraid after the fact than they were before. Why is that? Because God's holiness and God's presence is very well, is very closely felt by sinners. As we see in Isaiah 6 from our liturgy today, when sinners experience that holiness, there's nothing more scary to them than that. Because like Jesus says, there are things that can kill the body, but there's only one who can kill the body and the spirit, and that's a holy God. Um, they even offer sacrifices to, to Yahweh, the, uh, the mariners. They make vows and they offer sacrifices. His judgment and his mercy are both on display here. At the moment, Jonah is receiving some life-defining discipline, and the mariners are receiving some life-defining mercy. We are left with the question, did Jonah just act as a prophet to these folks? Jonah did everything he could to run from his call, and I'm, and I'm pretty confident these people just offered sacrifices and made, vow, made vows with Almighty God, the true God of Israel. And isn't that what the Lord had commissioned Jonah to do? He commissioned him to go out, call them to repentance, because their evil had come up before him. That was in Nineveh, but these are pagans as well. And even in his disobedience and depression, God had already shaped, shaped circumstances for his own will to be fulfilled through Jonah. Many people today find the miracles of Scripture to be amazing. The fish, resurrection from the dead, so on and so forth. I find the providence of God at times to be more amazing. He has even already shaped the natural world in space and time to perfectly align to his redemption of creation. He's got the whole world in his hands as a potter has clay in his hands. There's not a single maverick molecule in the cosmos. He, planned, he sent the storm. He planned for the ceasing. He planned for, the pagan, for those pagan sailors to repent or, or to, to give oaths to God even, even so. Um, God used Jonah to reach these people Totally against Jonah's will. <laughs> Even as Jonah is spiraling into the darkest night of his soul, God is using him. You've probably felt like Jonah 
failing, alone, depressed, yet aware of your unwillingness to turn around from the road you've chosen. You know something has become a greater idol, yet you also know it is empty. It's an, it's an empty pursuit. You do not need to travel across the sea to resist God today. You can, pre, uh, you can head to any one of your indifferent worlds in your pocket. You have a window anywhere right here. I'm not, I, I'm not and I'll never preach against needed rest. Um, I'm preaching against areas of our lives that we want to think are indifferent to God's purposes. Uh, he's in control of those things. Um, so where's the hope for Jonah in this? And where's the hope for us if we find ourselves backsliding the way Jonah is still backsliding as we close today? Uh, the hope that we have is that the gospel is true. What we forget at times is that the gospel is for unbelievers and believers alike. You do not graduate from needing the truth of the gospel placed before you. The gospel is for all who would hear. That includes you and me and your fundamentalist grandma and your liberal sister, your grieving aunt, and your, even your pastor. Mercy that was, um, oh, my mistake, and your oppressor. Just like Jonah's supposed to go out there and give that message to the Ninevites. When you forget that the gospel is for everyone, we forget the mercy that we, was first extended to us. That's the central message of Jonah for Christians today. The Lord, in his great mercy, will not spare us from sufferings in correcting us. He will stop us short. And if you have been redeemed by the blood of his son, he will go after you as he went after Jonah. This life is a furnace preparing us, for, preparing us as righteous vessels for, for holiness. If you are trying to hide from God's call on your life, know this. No one can resist his will in the ultimate sense. Just ask Jonah. More than that, know that Jesus is more worthy, more than worthy enough for your deliverance. Even in your darkest and most unsure times, the Lord has already shaped circumstances for your deliverance and fulfillment, and nothing's going to stop that. If you're found in his son, he's got you. God's got this. That's what each of us needs to hear in our sufferings. Maybe the this is probably the worst experience of Jonah's life, right? That's the message we need to extend. We need to hear from scripture. We need to accept for ourselves and we need to extend to all we know. He's coming after you. So get up, go and proclaim the gospel. Put down your minor concerns. You're aware of at least a few and run in the renewed freedom that is available every morning. I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message in Jonah. We see someone like us who knows your word, we know your gospel, and we just don't want to accept it for everyone else. I pray that you would um, always remind us that we are the first among sinners, as far as we're concerned, that we've received mercy that we could never deserve, that your son died for us while we were still sinners, and that we never graduate from that that understanding of grace, that constant grace that is just over us our whole lives because Christ is so much more gracious and so much more worthy than we are sinful. I pray that we would, um, we would hear the message, that we would get up and go, that we would proclaim your gospel, we would proclaim your hope that your son has been risen, vindicated in his offering of himself to you for our salvation to eternal life. And Lord, Help us to be an encouragement to each other if we are ever in backsliding, as Jonah is. Jonah was alone in his pursuit. We don't have that with our church. Help us to be with each other. Help us to be an encouragement to each other. 
And Lord, above all, help us to do everything for your glory. We thank you for your Son. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you have already planned everything, that it's a fixed fight, and that we, we have assurance that we're on the right side of that equation. Holy Father, I pray that you would use this message and that we would live for you all our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.